2: Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 17. Uh, I'm Cain Pittman, I'm joined as always by Ty Windish as the Bucks, are one win away from their first series win since 2001. They beat the Pistons 119-103 on the road, Blake Griffin returned, Blake Griffin played really well and it didn't matter at all Ty.
3: No, it didn't, Kane. I'm just uh, over here in Oshkosh getting my brooms ready for uh, Monday night's game against the uh, the Pistons. Probably, I think feels like it's pretty safe to say what will be the last game in this first round for the, the Milwaukee Bucks.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, when when you <laughs> just the first thing I, I look at, or when you look at a, a Bucks box score, is oh well, the Bucks won big. What did Giannis do? Uh, that was not the case last night, Giannis. Did not have a great night and it did not matter at all, uh, the Bucks, I felt like, and this is something I sort of said, I, I felt like the, uh, the Pistons threw an early punch and the crowd was fired up and that was their opportunity to really uh, work their way into a game at home, uh, the first playoff game that they've had in their building. But the Bucks sort of resisted that, and when Milwaukee went in with an eight-point lead at the end of the first quarter, it felt like there was nothing. This game was over, and, and that's if you didn't already feel that way already. But the fact that they took that sort of early hit from the Pistons, uh, they were able to hold an eight-point lead, and Giannis didn't even score a point in the first quarter, uh, it was not a good sign for Detroit.
3: No, this was something I was looking at, too. I mean, I, I saw... I think my guy either Matthew or my guy Adam uh, tweeted early the, in the morning of the game day like this would be the trap game for sure. Like this is I, I still don't think the Pistons will win, but this feels like the one they would. And then that was even before anybody knew Blake was going to play at all in the series. I mean, Blake and like you said, I thought he played a lot better than I expected him to. He played more than I expected him to uh, really gave the Pistons a boost. There was a lot of energy in that building, I think, for the first time ever in Little Caesars Arena. I mean, yeah. that, that was not a, a raucous, raucous crowd in, in the regular season. But credit to Detroit and Pistons fans. I mean, it felt like they showed up. It, it seemed like a good atmosphere for Detroit, and they were rolling early. But it, I maybe one of the more impressive things I've seen from the Bucs as a whole this year because the crowd's going. Blake's playing well. He's obviously just him being there, I'm sure, brought their whole team energy. That's their guy. Giannis struggling early especially, but really all game. And the Bucs just consistently up by double digits after that first quarter. And then a little bit of a, a run in the second too. But it felt like it was pretty much over by halftime. And I, I thought it was just stunning how well everyone on the team basically, aside from Giannis, played to put this one away.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it really uh, it, it just summed up how far apart these two teams are. Because you mentioned about Griffin playing well, and he has 27 points. Uh, seven rebounds, six assists, a couple of steals as well. Uh, he was really, really, really good for them. And he wasn't looking good <laughs> health-wise. He did not look okay. And I, I find it really – I'm going to be – I will be shocked if he plays on Monday just because uh, how sore he looked at the end of that game. He plays 30 minutes. He threw everything he could into that, into that game. And as you said, while – you know, Detroit were never really going to get back in this series, we didn't think. Uh, if they do win Game 3, then as we saw last year with the Bucs and Boston, you give yourselves a chance to extend the series and make this a, a home court series and and force the Bucs to win uh, at FISO Forum. So, look, I I, I think that was the, the thinking behind playing Blake. Uh, I, like you said, I didn't think that he was going to play that much time. I thought he was maybe going to play 15 and not be able to go. Uh, he really pushed himself through, but uh, yeah, like I just mentioned, with with only one day off before game four, uh, I would be pretty shocked if he if he played. And you know, for the Milwaukee side of things, like you said, Giannis doesn't play well, and it's just a balanced offense that we have seen from this Milwaukee team all year. So they have uh, eight players in, in double digits, which is which is nothing new. We've seen that all year, uh, but Irsay Nui Sova was probably the spark in the first quarter when I talked about the Bucks taking that punch. He comes in, hits three threes in the space of about two minutes, and that was good to see for up because he really had a hot shooting February and March. He was shooting well over 40% from three in those uh, two months. Uh, in April, he was down to... Coming into this game, he was down shooting around 16% uh, from three. He was, he was having a bit of a rough time of it, so uh, for him to come in and... Uh, you know, hit a couple of shots, had to feel good for him. He finishes with 15 points on the night. And I, I think it was interesting to see that that Bud did try and go with that DJ Wilson-Blake uh, Griffin matchup. It didn't go well, <laughs> and DJ sat down pretty quickly. But we've spoken about wh- whether the Bucks are going to use matchups and whether they're going to bring in certain guys because they are so deep for certain matchups. And last night we did see Bud do that, even though he told me specifically... That is not something that he's going to do, and he doesn't care about matchups. That's definitely what happened last night.
3: Yeah, it is. And I almost wonder if part of it was just wanting to see, you know, is this defender DJ that we saw in the regular season going to hold up in the playoffs? Because obviously it is a different right. game. And the, the the test run was not good. Four minutes for DJ, he was a minus 11. Uh, Blake, I thought, uh, just not to talk too much about the other team. I mean, again, it's they're going to be out of the playoffs in a game two at absolute maximum. His defense was better than I expected, too. He did a pretty damn good job defending Giannis, and it kind of just goes to what we've been saying all along and that it stinks that Blake isn't playing. It obviously hampers Detroit a lot, but even if he's out there, even healthier than this, I, I just don't think the series changes one bit. It just doesn't seem to matter. The supporting cast could not be any more different right now between Blake and Giannis.
2: No, it's, it's it's just not, this series is not close. And now the Bucs moved to 7-0 and against Detroit this season. Uh, the average winning margin is now 18.7 points in those seven games. Ooh. So it has been a beatdown. And in fact, I was just looking up this and I just tweeted this stat out. The Bucs have now won the first three games of this series by 15-plus points. It's the first time in any postseason the Bucs have won at least three games by fifteen plus points since 1974, mm. uh, and they've done it, and have done it in their first three games. So we are expecting the Bucks are going to have a, a plenty more playoff games in this postseason. Uh, the record is six, uh, by the way, fifteen plus wins, which 1971, obviously a pretty good year for the Bucks, and then 1974. So the Bucks are just rolling along, and we've already touched on the fact that it was a quiet night for Giannis a little bit. He only has 14 points, five for 13 shooting, so a really uh, unusual night for him, you know. Particularly when you look at the, the shooting numbers five for thirteen. Uh, he's normally just so efficient, but again, importantly, he, he stays under thirty minutes. So while uh, you know he would like to have played better, uh, it doesn't really matter. We know that this was a, a very rare night for him, and the big thing is that he didn't have to overexert himself again. But the player of the game for mine was Brook Lopez. Mm. Uh, he has nineteen points, seven rebounds, two assists, five blocks. Three for seven from the three-point line. Uh, he was just ridiculous, and Andre Drummond has just had enough.
3: Yeah, this is this is becoming tough. The when Drummond's on the court over those three games, he's played ninety-four total minutes. The Pistons are minus forty-three point four per one hundred possessions. And you look at the flip side; it's this matchup that's determined the entire series thus far, in my opinion. In Brook is 92 minutes, notice how close those numbers are. That is not a coincidence. They often are on the court at the same time. The Bucks are outscoring Detroit by 44 points per 44.7 per 100 possessions, and that's just that's a slaughter. I mean, that's what I mean. We've seen it in the series. That's why the scores have been what they have been. But it's honestly, I mean, I heard previously, you know, from you and and from some of my Detroit pals that. You know, Andre Drummond's, Brooke Lopez has his number, whatever else. I didn't think it would be like this. You know, part of me wondered, well, maybe that was the old Brooke Lopez when he was more of a post-up guy. I don't know if that's going to translate. It, it, it's translated. It's translated in a big way, and I just think I'm just shocked at this point that Drummond's still playing 30 minutes a game. I mean, this is the first time all series when the Pistons haven't outscored the Bucks with him off the floor, a minus eight with Drummond, and Detroit loses by 16 overall, but, or 13 overall. No, 16. I was right the first time. Anyway, just really tough for this guy. I mean, he he got himself his his numbers up at least twelve points, twelve boards, two assists, four steals, three blocks, but also four turnovers and five personal fouls. But everything he does is very much negated by Milwaukee.
2: Yeah, I mean, when he picked up that uh, when he picked up his fifth foul, yeah, I said to uh, so I, I actually watched the game. So I didn't make it to Detroit for whatever some unfortunate reasons i didn't get there but i was in milwaukee i was at five serve last night with some friends watching the game and when uh drummond picked up his fifth foul uh i sort of turned to my friend and i said you know what i would not put him past uh intentionally fouling these six just so he can get off the court at this point because (laughs) it is i mean i i this this is where we're at with the bucks right now if you are a center and you can't you can't score outside of the paint you're going to have a bad time with this with this Bucks defense because yeah. that's what they do. They protect the paint. Not only do you have to deal with uh, Lopez, you've got Giannis as the free coming over the top, like to, to pressure your shot as well. So it, I can't think of a there, there would not be a worse matchup for Drummond coming in. We've you pointed to some numbers during this uh, series, but under uh, on, on the whole season now through the the seven games, Drummond is minus 127 uh, across the seven Ooh. games uh which when almost
3: 20 per game
2: right almost 20 per game but the, the 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 funny thing about this is well not funny if you're a detroit fan or andre drummond but the thing about this is the pistons are only minus i say only but only minus 131 in the seven games so detroit when drummond's off the floor detroit are just minus four across those seven games they're minus 127 when he's on the floor. So. It has just been—it's been a nightmare for him, and it doesn't help on the other end. There was times last night where Andre Drummond was actually uh, out beyond the three-point line defending a uh, Brook Lopez. Mm-mm,
3: so Drummond it doesn't work.
2: Drummond is a fine defender, but you want him in the paint. That's where he does his. That's where he's most comfortable. That's where he can actually change a game. Lopez has him outside the perimeter. The Bucks win. It doesn't matter if Lopez is hitting threes. If Drummond's out there, the Bucks have already won the matchup. So. Uh, Lopez again. We we saw a great example last night of why he's been such a game changer for this uh, Bucks team on both ends as well. Not just shooting the threes, even though last night he has one of his you know better offensive games in a little while now. But uh, I mean, I I don't I don't really know what the other options are for Detroit. We you know we saw them try thon a couple of times who you know, the problem with Thon is that there was there was a few times there where he would close out on Lopez super aggressively, like we know that he does, leave his feet, then all of a sudden Lopez is getting open dunks. So I'm not sure if Detroit have an answer at all for Brook Lopez.
3: They don't. And this is a thing that's going to be really interesting to watch going forward, because I've seen a lot of talk, heard it heard like up close, people talking to me, like, oh, I think teams are going to play Brook Lopez off the floor. And I mean, at least in this first round, Brooke Lopez has played teams off the floor, and we're going to see that's going to change. Obviously, Al Horford's a much different animal than Andre Drummond, but there are things that Lopez does, and if you, like you said with Thon, I mean, if you close out too hard, he's going to dunk. I mean, his drives to the rim this year I think have been fantastic. He's got a little bit of a floater. He'll take it right to the rack. He's big. He's faster than you'd think. His rim protection is great. I mean, they might have to switch up the defense a little bit with the pick-and-pop action Horford's going to do when when the Bucks play the Celtics, but – there's a lot that Brook Lopez does that's really hard for other centers. Um, the thon thing, I mean, just uh, have you ever heard of Quop Kane? Uh,
2: no, I don't think so.
3: Quop Q W O P is a computer. It's like a free online game, like just in, like on the browser, where you control a person running with just those four buttons, and like it's really like like the mechanics are terrible, and like he kind of just flops all over, and it's like really difficult to make him run. So I tweeted a GIF of Quap and said this is Don Maker playing defense. I mean, he just flails all over somewhat uncontrollably. And he played 11 minutes, made his only field goal, made four free throws, blocked a shot. It's pretty good. Also picked up three personal fouls in those 11 minutes. So, I mean, per 36 here, about 10 fouls, I think. So that's just – it's not tenable. And that's always been his issue. It continues to be his issue. And if you're a big guy, you have to be able to play without fouling if you're going to play more than – 11 minutes. I mean, that's just the only way you, that you can stay out there. So they, they don't have an option. I mean, the Zaza who I think everyone in, on the Bucks side of things is glad the, the, the less Zaza, the better for
2: keep him off the floor.
3: Yeah. For, for uh, not really gameplay, but more injury concerns.
2: Yeah. We, we, you know, there's one game left for the bucks. They, they don't want uh they don't want any untimely injuries, but uh, speaking of injuries, I, I think that one of the positives last night was, uh, Nikola Mirotić, he yes. uh, he comes in and and look, he was looking a little bit rusty over his first couple of games, and uh, just really just looked like he was he was struggling to sort of find his place back in this team. and And I don't think that that should really surprise anyone because, um, yeah, we remember that he was just uh, getting accustomed to the system and to the scheme and starting to look really good before he, he had that that injury. So uh, with Mirotić last night, he plays fourteen minutes, has twelve points. Three for five from three, so that's a big thing. He got to see some of those shots go down from the perimeter, uh, and, and you know, again, a, a double digit scoring night for Miritich was uh, good to see. He finishes a minus eight. Some of those bench lineups towards the end, the, the margin came uh, came back a little bit. So, this wouldn't read too much into that because I know these minutes haven't been the best so far team wise since he's come back. So, uh, that's also that is something to to monitor there. But uh, we know that. Bud thinks that Miritich is a big part of rotation, and we expect that he is going to be a big part of the rotation. If he comes in and can hit a couple threes like that off the bench each game, uh, that's a, another big boost to, to a second unit that continues to
3: fire. 100%. I thought it was a good game for most of our, our favorite bench players. Ursan's shot starting to fall. I mean, uh, Bud clearly is still going to go with him a lot. He's the big guy who plays the most off the bench, 23 minutes to Nico's 14, and he was a plus 23, which is pretty solid for Ersan in 23 minutes. 15 points, two boards, one turnover, four fouls. Huge uh, Ersan energy there. I think I think a couple of attempted charges didn't go his way. I thought overall the whistle was slightly Detroit friendly. I didn't think it was egregious, but Blake got a whole lot, uh, is my opinion. He only had five free throws, though, so maybe it wasn't that bad. George Hill, though, again, just bringing energy. I, just, I like his minutes, even when... I mean, not lights out by any means, three for seven from the field, one for four from deep, four made free throws, but 11 points, five rebounds, five assists, and no turnovers. And he was a plus 24 in his 23 minutes. So just liking what we're seeing. Pat C's shots weren't going down, but he brought energy. He was a plus 10. He's all over all the time. So it's just encouraging to see the bench guys play well on the road when the old adage is, you know, your role players are only going to play well at home.
2: Right. You think back to uh, last year against the Celtics where the, the second unit, I mean, really anyone outside of Milton or Giannis could not hit a shot, but the second unit in particular really, really struggled. Tony Snell was a guy who had a, a brutal series on the road. just I mm-hmm. don't I even think he hit a three. I think he was, you know, was 0 for 10 plus. That's what it felt like, like yeah. yeah. he was – I mean, so I think for all these guys to – and not that they, they were all around. Obviously, there's some new faces there, but I, I think just in general for everyone uh, – that's a big been the big thing with this team. They've built this trust all through the season. They've shared the workload. And again, Bledsoe has 19 shots last night, has 19 points. Not a great night, efficiency-wise for him, but he did come up with some big plays uh, that were crucial plays, a couple of big end ones. So but outside of Bledsoe, when you look at the, the shots taken, uh, 13 for Middleton, 13 for Giannis, 13 for Lopez. Uh, that's 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 what this team's been about all season. They they there's not normally one guy. At, if outside of Giannis, there's not normally one guy that really sort of tries to take over the offensive game. They just take the shots as they come. Uh, and again, this this balanced offense. You you look at the bench, as you said, Ousseba Hill and Miritic all in double digits. Uh, you know Pat Conlon's a guy that's been scoring the ball really well. Tony Snell last night plays a minute. So, yeah. uh, I think. Again, this this is something that Bud has. So I think Tony Snell is going to be in the rotation. First of all, that that's I think that he's going to come in. I think he's another guy that Bud really trusts. We spoke about this a little bit in the last pod. I, I think Condon is probably not playing twenty six minutes in the second round. Uh, I think that his minutes have been way up there, and he's been a guy that uh, Bud knows he can he can throw in there, and and he's he is reliable, and he knows what he's going to get from Pat. So I think that Pat's minutes have seen a bump up, but Tony Snell. Uh, Bud mentioned before the game that uh, he was he would play him if there was an emergency situation. That wasn't the case so he gets another two days off. but the fact that they were uh, comfortable putting him on the floor is a very good sign and uh, I think that you know we could probably look to see Tony Snell uh, play some more minutes in in game four.
3: Yeah, I hope so. I, this team is just ridiculously deep. I mean on the bench, the only guys I probably would be hesitant to see play. Real minutes is Frazier, obviously, uh, who's again, I mean, no disrespect to him, but I mean, he's a good hasn't player. That's
2: what that, but that's the point, right? Like, yeah, a good, I mean, he's, he's a, a good pretty player. good player yeah. for
3: your 14th or 15th guy. Yeah. I mean, it's just he hasn't been around as long. I, I don't know if his fit is perfect, but yeah. he's, he's soaked up some minutes fine. And then I'm sort of, I've become more iffy on playoff DJ. I just, with how well Ursan and, and now Miritich have looked, I, I'm just a little, I don't know, and, and how much the starters are going to play, but. Overall, I mean, those are like the 14th, 15th guy, the 15th guy on the roster. I mean, Pat C is probably like 13th and I'm totally comfortable with Pat C minutes at this point. So this team is just ridiculous in the amount of options that Bud has to go to here.
2: Yeah, and and they are playing deep. They're playing a lot deeper than probably uh you know, you would think heading into the playoffs, but the it, it's been just so lopsided that Bud is just keeping these guys ready and keeping them involved. Uh yeah, I think the problem with DJ is at this point is he just hasn't been playing. And, yeah. you know, I, it worked early in the season uh, when DJ sort of got thrown in on Blake Griffin, but it's tough. That's a really, really tough thing that he, he sort of asked of DJ uh, in the middle of a playoff game, which at that point in time was still a game and the Pistons were hanging around and they were right there. Uh, and he throws DJ in for a little four-minute uh, stint and Chucky Simon, one of the better offensive players in the game who was really rolling at that point. So I kind of feel a little bit sorry for DJ there, uh, but you know four minutes for him and minus 11 on the on the box score. So there, it wasn't a good stretch. Uh, Griffin was getting to the free throw line. he was just doing really whatever he wanted out there and Bud quickly uh, pulled DJ out and that was sort of a, a failed experiment. but yeah, I, I just think that and DJ's become such a sort of a uh, cult figure I guess the Bucks fans they love DJ anytime I I tweet anything about Ursan or or at minutes and rotation stuff that people want DJ out there but uh, I don't think the signs are, are pointing towards us seeing much of him at all in the playoffs
3: no I don't think so and it is tough I, I do like what I've seen but I mean it's there's so many puzzle pieces here and obviously Bud has to find the right fits and That's crucial. and It's just seemed like some of the other guys fit better. I mean, there's just a tremendous importance on fit in the playoffs and how things fit together. And there's also a tremendous importance of fit in podcast advertisements. You know, at Blue Wire, we don't just partner with any advertiser. We want to make sure that we're giving our listeners a good deal on a product that we're here pitching. That's exactly why we love doing business with Harry's. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shaving kit for just $3. That's it. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire and you'll save $10 on a trial set which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, the trimmer blade is essential, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. If you're not familiar with Harry's, it's time you should be. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. The founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned, and really, who isn't? Harry's... Bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for more than 95 years. Join the 10 million people who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. That's it. That's a... Uh... Hell of an
2: ad raid, as always. Uh, <laughs> our friends at Harry's keeping everyone looking uh, pretty sharp, but uh, necessary. It is necessary. Absolutely, it's playoff time. You'd be looking good, but uh, I think speaking of looking good in playoff time, hey, Chris Milton is just doing his thing that he's been doing really since the All Star break, but. He is shooting uh, at the moment 47.4% uh, from 3 on 6 attempts per game. So he's letting it fly and they're dropping for for Chris Middleton at the moment. He's averaging 19.3 points, 6 rebounds, 5.3 assists on is the, that playoffs or since the break? Uh, that's just in the playoffs since the break. Gotcha. Since the break he's actually he's over he's over 20 points per game. I that's mean That's what I figured. Yeah, yeah. And he's he was coming into the playoffs Middleton was shooting around 37 38% from 3. Uh after the all-star break, but yeah, he's, he's come in uh, shooting in this series and, and they're really starting to fall. And this is on the back of uh, his playoffs last season where he shot
3: 61% from three. So uh, I,
2: I get the feeling that Chris Middleton, you know, feels pretty comfortable in the playoff stage.
3: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I've, I think I've talked people's ears off about 16 game players, but it feels like a lot of Milwaukee bucks are, but he's probably the prime example. And I think the the biggest difference between He and where it comes to, you know, like Giannis or Bledsoe or or really pretty much anyone else on the roster is he can pretty much pull up and, and score from anywhere and very comfortably. I mean, when he drives, there is no point between the rim and fairly deep behind, not super deep. I don't think he's like a Steph Curry range guy, but, you know, a foot or two behind the three point line in the rim. He can pull up and go for a shot anywhere in that range and it just makes it so hard to guard someone when you don't know where they're going to go or really even where they want to go like chris has no qualms or, or hesitation about pulling up for those twos that really nobody else on the bucks has the rope to do but you know whereas you know when you guard giannis i'm not saying it's easier to guard giannis certainly i mean guarding giannis is probably one of the toughest covers in the league but you know his goal is to go to the rim that's what he wants to do with chris i mean you really have no idea what he's looking for and he'll just take whatever you may give up and i just think it makes his scoring really hard to stop in the postseason when he's feeling good and his shots are falling.
2: Yeah, and uh, the interesting point that you made there was that uh, he gets a little more rope, I guess, to take some of these shots. And it's funny because this is one of those things that early in the season, Middleton was, you know, going through a little bit of a slump, particularly through that sort of November, early December uh, stage when, I guess if you were gauging Bucks fans it, it felt like the tide was starting to turn on middleton a little bit we haven't I I know I I mean I know my mentions at, at, at any game through that period were just lit up with middleton uh, middleton comments but they this guy well
3: this guy's worth a max.
2: yeah I mean it's, I mean and I understand like there's there's still some big stuff to, to be to be done but if there you're talking about a, if you're talking about a guy that's delivered in two straight playoffs and there's a long way to go in this postseason uh, we we hope or we think but uh, you know, if, if he has or does deliver two postseasons in a row, are you really questioning whether you want to pay this guy? Uh, and, and again, back to my original point before I got distracted, but the, the rope uh, that you said that bug gets, and this is a question that we asked uh, Mark Budenholzer quite a few times because there was a definitive point where Middleton went from shooting, really, I think he was up around seven or eight threes a game and then he really started taking those mid-range shots again which he he was not taking early in the season. And we would ask Budenholzer about this and he said, "Yeah, look, I you know, I kind of like let these guys, you know, take a few of those shots and keep some balance there and we know what we want to be doing, but that's that's their their comfortable position." And he was talking about Giannis as well who probably has taken less certainly uh, than than previous seasons, but I just thought it was interesting that Middleton is a rhythm player, and he's a guy that that will go on really sort of extended hot streaks, and then he might have a couple of nights where he struggles a little bit. But I think him finding his rhythm, and it's ridiculous that his rhythm is is post-up, fade away, contested, mid-range shots, but hey, that's how Middleton gets going. And I think giving him that little bit extra uh, leniency or, or leeway with, with his shot selection and shots that he can take, I think overall has helped him to to really work into a, a really nice rhythm, and and he's feeling super confident right now. And I don't think there's any coincidence that this all happened after the All Star break either. I mean, mm-hmm. he spends the weekend playing with the best players in the league. Uh, he plays really well in the All Star game, and that had to be a huge shot for his confidence.
3: I think too, almost, and I don't know if there's any. I don't think there's any way for data to confirm this or whatever, but when you play the Bucs and everyone except middleton basically you know they you know that they want to either take threes or be at the rim i almost wonder if defenses when they play milwaukee especially in the playoffs when you know it's over and over you kind of get used to guarding the way some of the other bucks will play you know you really sell out for the three point line and for the rim you know especially for giannis i just wonder if that sort of like zigging while the other the rest of the, his teammates are zagging like middleton i wonder if it makes it easier for him to find some of those mid-range looks because the defense is like, you know, nine out of the nine out of the ten guys who play really aren't looking for those. Maybe Bledsoe a little bit here and there. He'll do like his turnaround, you know, chuck something up when he drives. But I don't know. I just wonder if, if – defenders get so used to looking out for the three-point line, you know, defend the rim. Oh, God, Giannis is coming. Let's get two or three guys over there. All of a sudden here's Chris Middleton from 16 feet. I, I don't know. I just feel like it might throw a spanner in the works to the defense.
2: Better in the works, it definitely does. But you touched on it the point you made they're worried about what Giannis is doing.
3: <laughs> that's yeah, what, yeah, that's the that's chief it, concern.
2: I mean, that's the thing, right? Because that's why playing the bucks is so difficult, and that's why Giannis can have a poor night and they're still going to put up 119 points. Because if you're, you're it doesn't matter what Giannis is doing, he is the focus of the defense. So then, if you have Middleton standing in the perimeter with Bledsoe, Lopez. George Hill comes in off the bench. I mean that the the offensive options are unlimited, and that's why uh, the Bucks. It, it, there should be no concern in really any series that they're going to put up points because even if a couple of guys have a bad night, there's always someone that's gonna that's gonna get going. So uh, I think you're right. I, I think that the overall point that Milton does things a little bit different uh, to Giannis, and then Giannis does things a little bit different. I think in general uh just the variety of the ways that these guys can score is what what really presents uh the problem for opposition for teams. So you said Milton is really just I mean, he's just been playing great for a couple of months now. Uh and it's gonna it's going to be much needed when the Bucks do eventually move on. But game four is gonna be on Monday night and the Bucks it's it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this uh this morning. Uh, just in general about how the bucks look like they're on the brink of of, of winning a series and it looks like they're going to sweep and i probably never really thought just from watching the bucks for as long as you know we both have i always thought that when the bucks eventually won a series it would be this dramatic uh you know intense stressful uh moment or or series and in some ways it kind of feels a little anti- uh, climatic i guess because they're gonna they're gonna roll through this team, win every game by twenty points, sweep them, and no one really has had any concerns about whether the Bucks are gonna get through at all. Which is just the the opposite of of how I I pictured this happen.
3: Yeah, I I sort of agree. I mean, I don't mind the way it's turned out, especially because no, no, it's not a bad thing. It's not yeah, a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, especially because it'll be the death of all the every time yeah. someone says something about Giannis. No, oh, you mean the guy who's never gotten out of the first round? Well. Uh, as in about 36 hours, that won't be the case anymore. So, no, I, I don't mean that guy. Um, but, no, I do agree. I mean, especially the last two first-round series for the Bucks, both at times, definitely felt like, oh, this might be the one. You know, oh, Milwaukee's got the Raptors on the ropes here, and then DeRozan has a couple of monster games. And, oh, Milwaukee's going to really push Boston to the edge here. And just, I mean, Bledsoe plays horrifically, and Terry Rozier – Maybe earned himself a huge contract, even with this season not going that well for him and, and everything, and Tatum playing really well and everything else in that Boston series. And to go from those two just grudge matches against Eastern Conference sort of heavyweights to this is pretty extreme. I mean, I guess it shows you, it goes to show all the talk about, you know, the regular season not mattering. It, the Getting the a seeds a lot better than getting... I mean, obviously the Bucs are used to being a bottom four seed, but even like the Nets I think would be a lot more competitive than this. I mean, they they took a game off Philly. So, uh, yeah, I guess it is it is a lot different than I guess a lot of people would have expected. But I guess then again that comes with the difference between us expecting the Bucks to be, you know, 50-some wins, a good team, hopefully home court, hopefully top three seed to the best team in the league. I mean, I guess – Everything has shifted so much since since our expectations before this season that, I mean, I suppose it makes sense that this isn't what we would have thought.
2: Yeah, and I guess yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, we've we've been watching the team so closely all all season that I, I guess it's not a surprise to us what's happening right now. And I think maybe it would be, and to some people that haven't watched the Bucks and haven't watched the Bucks and, and Pistons play. I think the only thing that may be a source of frustration for Bucks fans moving forward is that people in the media, they're probably going to dismiss this series. <laughs> so mm-hmm. even though the Bucs are going to get through and they're going to finally break through that first round barrier, I think that for the most part, people are going to say, well, you know what? It was Detroit. They didn't have Blake Griffin. He was hurt. Uh, the Pistons suck. That's you know, like That's going to be the narrative. So uh you know I, it looks like and as we record this podcast it's almost tip off uh in uh indiana uh for the for the Pacers and, and celtics game four uh so we may know by the time you guys are listening to this we may already know and that, that that boston is going to be the team and you expect it's going to be anyway but it's just a matter of of how far the Pacers can drag out that series and look they've blown a couple of really good chances to win games. Like this series easily could have been 2-1 in favor of the Pacers. So again, it would not surprise me if the Pacers find a way to sort of extend this series, but we should expect that it's going to be the Celtics. And when that series rolls around, that's when the pressure is really going to ramp up on this Bucks team. And that's when people are going to be looking for Milwaukee to, to, to fall or to fail. That, that's basically what you should expect.
3: Absolutely. And I'm glad you kind of brought up that, the, the expectation and everything, because you can't do anything except play who's in front of you. And the Bucks all year pounded everyone in front of them, earned that first seed, get best matchup in the playoffs against Detroit, pounded them. And I think, I have seen, I think uh, Matt Moore at HP Basketball sort of tweeted something like, oh, I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, if this is going to end up in the Celtics' favor because Milwaukee hasn't really had a game. And it's like, I don't know. I think I'd rather have the really good team who just dusts their opponent and never leaves a game in doubt than have the team that, you know, like you said, is eking by a Pacers team that without Victor Oladipo has no offense. There is no offense on this team. They signed Tyreek Evans to help. He hasn't done anything all season long, playoffs included. I mean, their sole offense right now basically is Boyan Bogdanovich. And I think if you have Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, who's he's been sick, I know, but still he's played. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward is coming around and you can barely beat this team that, I mean, doesn't have any sort of offensive focal point, that would worry me more than blowing out a team. I think I'd rather have the team that executes their game plan, plays their ball, and just dominates than the team that maybe against tougher competition, I don't know, probably the Pacers are still better than the Pistons, even without Oladipo. Still, I mean, I I don't want to eke by a a bad team in the first round, even if it is a sweep, it it really – it hasn't been a typical dominant performance by the better team in that series.
2: No, and and I think and I saw that tweet also from Matt, and I think that is something that people talk about. And the interesting thing is going to be, and we we've sort of spoke about this a little bit, uh, with how easily the Bucks are rolling through this series. The only thing was going to be how many days off they would get. So I had someone ask me about this on Twitter yesterday. So the the situation is if the, if the Celtics do win today or even if they win in five, uh, so the series would be done early in the week, uh, they can move the second round, which is slated to start next Monday on the 29th. They can move that to Saturday. So that's the earliest they can do it. And the way these series is panning out, I would suggest that that is probably what's going to happen. So, you know, outside of anything crazy happening in these two series, I think next Saturday looks like the likely uh, date for Game 1 at FISA Forum against probably Boston. So uh, that would give the Bucs, uh, you know, a solid four or five days off. I, I'm not overly concerned about that. The big reason I'm not concerned about that is because the Bucks had four or five days off before Game 1 and came out and blew the doors off Detroit in the first quarter. They were ready. They practiced more than they'd practiced really for the last two months of the season. So the Bucks have been sort of tapering down uh, practicing them with the heavy road schedule that they did have, it made a lot of sense and, and all the injuries uh, also. But in that four or five days off, they practiced every day. Their practices went a lot longer than they usually did. We were <laughs> we were at the practice facility for many, many hours w- waiting for them to finish. And, <laughs> and all the players said that, they, uh, that the practices were hard. They were the hardest practices that they've had uh, since uh, training camp, so uh, I think that's an indication of how this Bucks team will sort of handle those days off if they do get them. Um, so I, I don't really have the concern about that. Uh, and also, no. I just, I also just think it's a seven game series. You know, like yeah, that, that, that rust or it's not going to even if there is a little bit of rust, you're going to shake that off in the first half of game one. It's, it's. I, I just don't think that's a concern over over a long
3: series. Well, and the other thing that's sort of in, in, implied, and I don't—I'm not trying to attack Matt. I mean, I like Matt; we tweet together, whatever. But he's—he he, thing... he is
2: very pro the Bucks. He's—he yeah, does a lot of a lot of pro Bucks stuff. So i do I don't—I don't think it was a—I think it was just a thought. i, I definitely no, don't think sure. It was a negative Bucks to it.
3: Absolutely, I I would agree. But I think sort of another like the last implication there, is sort of like the Bucks aren't used to like a real opponent, and it's like well. I mean, the Bucs have played Boston plenty in the regular season. Obviously, playoffs last year. It was a different Bucks team, but it was a a different Celtics team. You know, but still, I mean, they they've played the Celtics a lot. They're familiar with that team and whoever they they would get in the Eastern Conference Finals if they move past Boston, or I guess or Indiana technically, whatever. You know, they're pretty dang familiar with the Raptors and the Sixers too. I mean, Raptors match up two years ago, different team, but I mean Lowry's still there. And then, uh, I mean, they've played high-level games against both of those teams in the regular seasons as well. So it's not like they're going to be like, "Oh man, we're totally unprepared for you know Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler or whatever else." I mean, this isn't—I I don't know. I'm just—I'm not—I'm not worried about it. I think Milwaukee is not dumb. I think they realize that there are harder teams remaining. But I, I don't think we've seen the Bucks play, you know, incredibly well. And I just—I don't know. I'm not worried about rust. I'm, I'm with you. It's not a concern for me.
2: Well, I mean, all they're doing right now is taking care of business. And yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you touched on, on the point. It's hard to, I mean, at this point with the Bucks after winning 60 games and the way they've started the postseason, it's hard to really you know, find any negatives. So I guess, you know, if you want to bring up any concerns and those are the types of things you have to talk about because you're not seeing anything on the floor. Uh, so, you know, again, the Bucks roll through. They're just continuing to destroy the Pistons and, and Monday night, could be a historic night for the Bucs. Have you got any early thoughts on game four?
3: I think it's going to be more of the same. Uh, I, I just, I don't even know if Detroit's going to have the fight they had in game three. Cause I think, you know, I feel like that's when you get to come home, you know, you can sort of tell yourself, listen, we're down 2 Oh, but you know, we just lost in their arena. We can win in our arena. We can make this a series. And then, you know, to come out with all that energy, Blake's, Reemergence and and just get dusted like that, and with an off game from Giannis too. I mean, I don't know. Uh, D- Dwayne Casey's an excellent players coach. I think his guys will be ready to play, but I just don't know if the intensity will be able to match what it was. And even when it was as as high as it was for Game Three, it, it still wasn't really a contest. So I, I I don't see any surprises coming.
2: No, I yeah, I I think that's it. I think that we've we did see the Pistons probably best shot. Uh, in the first half in game two, and then uh, yeah, the first half again last night. But the Bucks look like they just have too much for them. So uh, I will be watching game four with our friend Pratik mm-hmm. from ESPN Milwaukee on the sidecast. I don't know if anyone's seen uh, that from Pratik. He's brought it back this this postseason, and it should be a bit of fun. So if you don't if you don't want to listen to the broadcast tv broadcast you can put the sound on the sidecast and we will just be talking and it'll be somewhat serious and then other times it will be not serious <laughs> at all if i know anything about the sidecast from from what i've seen so what when does uh, the sidecast start so it's the whole length of the game okay so we just sit there the camera's the camera's on us which is i mean it's, it's a, i kind of like it it's it's a, it's a unique idea when when I decided, well, when I found out that I couldn't go to Detroit, uh, pratik, uh, I hit up pratik, and he already asked me and said, "If you're ever not here on a road game, let's do this." So it should be a bit of fun. I'm looking forward to it, and, and on a night that, as I said, the Bucks are looking to make history and and move on to bigger and better things.
3: There's gonna be a lot of scattered Eurostep content. I'm gonna be. Uh, BJ and the Bear doing a live show at Beckett's from five to six in Oshkosh uh, to do sort of a pregame show. I'm going to appear on there, so we're going to be all over during after this game, and we're going to record some point after and sort of wrap up the series. Uh, so yeah, a lot of a lot of content from the both of us here in, in Milwaukee's you know, soon to be most successful playoff run at least since 2004, which is pretty exciting stuff.
2: It is, and we should I should we should mention BJ and the Bear. They uh, they look after us. Yeah, they've got the podcast up on the website uh, and the uh, the score, and uh, they treat us well, and they always give the the podcast a shout out. So we have to uh, recognize two good blokes, BJ <laughs> and the Bear.
3: Absolutely, two good blokes, and you know the WI dot com. If you're not in the area, it's, I know they have an Appleton and an Oshkosh tower, I think that broadcast it. But yeah, BJ and the Bear weekdays six to eight. So definitely. Check those guys out. They've been supporters of the pod since right away. I know uh, we've both, we were going on there independently before we did the pod. So I'm glad that uh, that's maintained. And like you said, they've been good supporters of us.
2: They have. And with that, I think we can wrap this up. The game three podcast is done. The Bucks again win 119 uh, 103. Funnily enough, the closest game of the series so far with that 16 point win. But they now. Uh, in twenty four hours. They'll be getting ready for game four, looking to complete the sweep, stay healthy, and move on to Boston, which we think is gonna happen next week. So thank you to everyone for listening. Ty, thank you for uh this Easter edition podcast. We didn't say happy Easter, but we should
3: say happy Easter to
2: everyone if that's if
3: you uh celebrate that. Absolutely. Happy Easter. You know the Easter bunnies brought us a three 0 lead over the Pistons, which is a nice Easter gift. Uh thank you Kane, and thank you everyone, for listening. make sure to subscribe rate review, tell your friends, do whatever you need to do uh you know help the spread the podcast we We always appreciate it so thanks everybody.
1: It's happening daily. mypatriotsupply.com